Welcome to Neoweek Audio, a collection of podcasts and Twitter spaces produced and curated by Neoweek, the number one news and community platform for the Neo Protocol and the Aurora ecosystem. At neoweek.com slash podcasts, you can find every interesting audio piece from the community in one place. We curate content on topics such as DeFi, NFTs, gaming, DAOs, community hangouts, and more. Basically, we got you covered near fam. And without further ado, let's dig in. How's everyone doing? Yeah, hey man, doing doing real good. How's uh, the weather over there? It's another uh, beautiful day in Medellin, and actually, um, I hopped in my hotel room just in time for a quick little rain shower. So it was uh, I got lucky there. No uh, robberies or shakedowns today. No, but day? I no. Well, there is something. Um, a lesson learned. A uh, a quintessential lesson that we all are very much aware of, but in practice, sometimes maybe we don't um, fully go through with it. And that is, if something's too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> Brandon might know where I'm going with this because I sent him a picture of what I thought was a brand new GoPro that I bought off a guy on the street for 50 bucks. And the packaging was real. There's like, you know, there's uh, the right attachments, GoPro attachments, but I don't think the actual camera's real. I, I haven't uh, fully confirmed it yet, but it's like, there's like a sticker, like the GoPro logo is a sticker and it's crooked. So it doesn't seem like that would pass the quality control for GoPro. And it also like weighs nothing. So <laughs> That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So yeah, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Valuable lesson from our live correspondent in Colombia. Trove Labs foreign correspondent <laughs> coming at you. Oh, but we have a great spaces today. We get to hang out with Marcus and Jared from Near Horizons, an incubator and accelerator within the Near ecosystem. And this is something that Neko is actually involved in. We're in this round uh, of participants so yeah we're in cohort two this is the the second cohort cohort i believe jared yep yeah so we get to dive into that today um near horizons is, is pretty new i think the first cohort was formally launched in september of 23 so it's uh it's pretty early um but huge impact for the near ecosystem I guess on that note, we can go ahead and get started. So Marcus, Jared, what's going on? Cool. Can you, can you hear me? Loud and clear, my man. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's like so new uh, being able to join as a speaker from from the actual like like browser. Uh, so I just want to make sure it works. Um, yeah, so I'll kick off. I mean, I'm Marcus uh, from the Near Foundation, previously community uh, team, now under founder success, along with Jared, uh, Bianca and Laura on the Horizon side. Um, been with there for about three years and um, yeah, always been focused on supporting founders in, in the ecosystem, ecosystem engagement, et cetera. I'll go ahead and let Jared intro introduce himself and we can dive right in. Um, don't think I can hear Jared. Can you guys hear Jared? Me either. No. Might have to yeah. log out and we'll add you again. I, I, but when I was back home, I tried to get onto spaces with my desktop because I have a pretty good mic setup and I couldn't get it to work. So maybe Jared, if you're trying that way, it might not be, might not work out, but we'll try it again. Hey, hey yep. there he is. We're arriving to the party late, dealing with some AirPods, classic Bluetooth connection issues. So sorry about that. Uh, we're all actually at a team offsite right now. And so we're coordinating who is pressing the mute button, who is pressing the unmute. So uh, apologies, bear with us on that. But great to be here, guys. Really appreciate you all hosting us. Super excited to talk all things Horizon. Uh, just to echo everything Marcus shared, I am part of our founder success team. We launched Horizon last September. So this is a relatively new, uh, but really exciting uh, platform and accelerator that we are building out. So really looking forward to diving in. Awesome. And I guess just to start, it might be good to sort of explain what an accelerator is. I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with Y Combinator. Um, there's other popular startup accelerators like Techstars and, and plenty of others. Um, but I don't know of any Web3 specific um, accelerators outside of Near Horizon. So I'm curious if there are others that um, that are available for founders. It's a, it's a great question, you know, and so when we actually formed Horizon, uh, what we saw and still see is actually a gap in the market um, and a gap in how founders are supported and how they grow and scale their businesses, right? Fundamentally, an accelerator, hence the name accelerator, is designed to meaningfully kickstart and grow and scale your project or your business. And so really, as we were um, back in call it like late Q2, uh, June, July of last year, looking at how, how might we best support founders in a streamlined, efficient and scalable way, that's when we really said, hey, we need to actually have something that's high touch, that's hands on, that we are rolling up our sleeves, coming alongside founders to meaningfully influence um, the outcomes of their project. That's essentially the essence and energy um, that we are providing through Horizon. If you just Google Web3 Accelerator, you're going to find a lot of options out there, um, whether it is something that's run by another ecosystem, whether it's a chain agnostic accelerator. We've uh, done partnerships you know, in the past with a couple other brands. But you know, one of the things we found and what actually makes us different, why would we kind of join this party of building an accelerator ourselves, is you know two things. One, as a founder, and you, you want to raise uh, venture capital, you want to grow and scale your business, but you're probably going to have to give away a piece of that pie um, by uh, essentially another entity taking equity in your company or in your project. 
we actually decided to position Horizon as a completely equity-free accelerator, largely because you know we found by the time a founder actually gets to the seed stage, they may have already given away 40% of their company or 30% of their company. And so even if you have a meaningful outcome, because of the dilution you faced, it can be really, really hard to actually you know, have a financial impact on yourself um, should an exit happen or should your company really blow up. And so a big motivation for us to differentiate ourselves from the market is to run a program that's equity free, that is really designed to meaningfully influence um, the outcomes of your business. So um, without getting into a full-blown TED talk, that is a little bit about the origin of Horizon, kind of where we see ourselves sitting on the landscape. Obviously, you know, you are part of our current cohort, which we're super excited to, to have you. Um, and it's been awesome. We, you know, really target kind of a range of folks who are at the post-idea, but pre-launch phase and folks who are post-launch, but really looking to uh, grow and scale. So um, we'll stop there, but Marcus, please jump in if you have anything else to, to add there. Did we did we lose Marcus as a speaker? I think we might have. So we'll try to get him back up. But Jared, I just wanted to echo what you noted about the equity side of things. Um, one sec, I have someone knocking on my door. Yeah, while he's uh, attending to that. I'm, I'm, good. You, what... I'm good. No, oh. so what I, yeah, what I wanted to say was, like, why Combinator? If you get accepted into YC, you're going to, I believe, receive like $500,000. But in exchange, YC is getting, I think, 7% 7 equity in your startup. And I think that, in a lot of cases, is a really good value exchange just because of the amplification that is attached to YC. But when it comes to other accelerators, you have to be really cautious as a founder because that value exchange might not really add up. Um, and so to be able to have all of this access, all of the support without having to exchange equity in return, that's, that's huge and super beneficial for founders. 100% agree. 100% agree. Um, we could probably talk for an hour about equity dilution yeah. and the challenges, but um, no, it's a big part of the reason why we why we did that. So yeah, man, I, I totally, totally agree. Absolutely. And so Near Horizon, first cohort was Q4 of, of 23, but what was the process of bringing Near Horizons to life? What sort of steps were needed in order to build out this infrastructure to start supporting near native founders? Man, it's a great question. Um, if anyone ever wants to build an accelerator from scratch, please come talk to us. We'll tell you all about it and tell you what not to do um, and tell you maybe what works. But, um, and a couple of things before we even get to that, just want to give a huge shout out to, you know, our, our first cohort, what we called HZN1, um, kind of did in the same uh, acronym as YC and how they label their cohorts. We label our cohorts with numbers. So HZN1 um, was our first cohort. HZN2 um, is the cohort we're running now. Um, HZN1, um, we actually had five teams go on to raise uh, 2.2 million um, in external capital um, and actually more than 50% of the teams in that cohort um, went on to launch on Nier's mainnet. So I've been super encouraged about the outcomes. To the question on the process, man, um, it was a lot of coordination, a lot of coordination. Um, and we're smiling here as a team because we spent a lot of time on coordination, but um, it was really fundamentally looking at what does it actually take 
to get somebody from an idea to bringing that idea to life, to then scaling said idea, to then sustaining said idea. So when we looked at actually building and designing this program to help near native teams, it's really twofold. First is actually like fundamental company building. And what does it take to build a Web3 project and be successful as a founder? Then the other end of the spectrum is there are nuances and things that are unique to near and understanding both from a technical side and just ecosystem side um, that it takes to be successful within the near ecosystem. And so our programming is really set out to solve for both. Um, and I'll actually kind of turn it to Marcus here in a second to talk about like what we do on the ecosystem side to get teams plugged in and meaningfully embedded. On the technical side, um, we have dedicated technical support, um, both from a technical reviewer who actually looks at um, your code is in uh, your repository, is available to deep dive um, any integration that we have. And then we actually have um, and launched our alpha um, a couple of weeks ago of our founder Copilot, which essentially um, takes GPT-4 Turbo that's trained on nearest docs to um, have an AI assistant um, for code generation. Uh, and so we're really, really focused on company acceleration. Uh, but Marcus, man, I'll turn it to you to kind of talk about like how we plug teams into the ecosystem, um, both like uh, with ecosystem nodes and just connections in general. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm not 100% sure if this uh, web browser Twitter spaces uh, integration is fully fleshed out or not, because I, I, don't, I don't know how I draw previously, so I do apologize. But in regards to plugging um, these founders into the ecosystem, um, it's it's there's a really big human element to Web3, as we all know. Um, you know, it's all about kind of connections and, and warm intros. Uh, so kind of taking it from from an insider's perspective, like all of us, we're very familiar with the near ecosystem, but somebody that is not natively from the near ecosystem they don't have that like kind of overarching knowledge that we do uh, we know exactly like who's building what uh, what tools and infrastructure are available what groups are available um, and there's a lot of fragmentation in in the web3 space in general like this goes for any ecosystem so making sure that we can identify kind of uh, based on like what projects are building what in these um, cohorts like who is building uh, something in the near ecosystem that can either accelerate their building um, that can that they can plug in with uh, other founders that they might be um, worth exploring some sort of like partnership or collab with uh, other groups that are in the in the ecosystem that are available uh, to kind of support what they're building, whether it's like a, a vertical specific group, founder specific uh, group. We do have a founders on near chat as well that is specifically comprised of all of the founders building on near or decision makers on the team. Um, so there's a lot of like avenues available. Uh, to kind of try to abstract a lot of this, I have built uh, and consistently work on a, like, I want to call it like a project onboarding checklist, but it contains a lot of this information um, that a founder entering the near ecosystem will need to know uh, to make it a little bit more streamlined. But again, that human element does go a very long way. Um, so we're kind of working on a lot of cross-pollination efforts right now uh, and how projects entering these cohorts can plug in with projects currently on the near ecosystem uh, to kind of make sure that we see this collaboration come to life. Love it. And from the ecosystem side, I just want to take a moment to shout out Marcus for all of the hard work that you've been putting in. I mean, you've been sort of the key support system for, for us um, really for, you know, a couple years now. Um, so appreciate your hard work. And I think it's very much noticed within the ecosystem. But I guess a it's, <laughs> it's a huge sure. task of mine, so. And then in terms of the overall Near Horizons team, I'm curious, 
how many people it takes to run this accelerator and maybe how the relationship works within the broader near foundation umbrella. It's a great question. In a perfect world, we'd have a team of a hundred people that is blowing this up. No, I'm kidding. Um, we actually have a mighty team of four dedicated folks who are really laser light focused on growing and scaling um, Horizon as a platform. Um, we actually have our whole team on this call. So huge shout out to Bianca Moment, who is now showing up as the Near Horizon account, and Laura Cunningham, um, who is our fearless leader of uh, our founder success team. And you know what? What is so I think special about our group is that we've been able to uh, meaningfully become embedded in the ecosystem by even over the past, like call it like six months in standing up HCN and an accelerator offering as a platform. Uh, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of follow-ups. It is a lot of uh, meetings um, and, and catch-ups and so on and so forth. But um, to build a platform from, from scratch, uh, it does take a lot of work. Um, so right now that is our core team. We are housed under Near Foundation. Um, and so we um, all internally um, are part of Near Foundation um, uh, as well. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Four people, four brilliant, hardworking people built an accelerator from scratch in, you know, 12 plus months. That's, that's huge. Um, and then I guess like, I'd like to maybe spend some time on cohort one because it's really impressive to me that at the end of cohort one, and in, in the environment that crypto was in at that time, and even today to some degree, it's not easy to raise. So I'm curious about maybe how that process was for the teams in cohort one and some lessons learned with that. It's a great question. Um, fundamentally, if you ask any venture-backed founder what their experience like is fundraising, they'll probably tell you it's equivalent to chewing glass. So uh, it is not easy. It's a really hard thing. Um, a couple of things that we focus on through the accelerator and just in any founder that we um, have the opportunity to work with in general is um, actually I'm feeling bold today. I'm going to drop it in our uh, chat here on the thread. We do a fundraising boot camp. Uh, that we really focus on the fundamentals of what it takes to raise capital and more importantly, what it takes to tell a compelling story that someone would want to invest in, right? A majority of the time folks think that I have a good idea. Um, I have a really interesting product. People should and would want to invest in this thing. So much of fundraising is actually framing your project as an investment opportunity that's where we spend a majority of our time on storytelling and then the actual operational elements of running a great fund fundraising process and what it actually takes to not just get an investor meeting, uh, but get that investor across the line and close around, right? What we saw is the average time uh, that it had taken um, our founders to uh, go from first meeting to actually like getting a check invested into their company um, was about 120 days, right? So a lot of our founders had started their raise process prior to beginning um, the cohort. And then through the cohort, we're able to close their rounds, which was really, really encouraging and really exciting and gives us kind of a positive signal that, hey, something is working here. Um, and what we are really focused on is closing that gap 
even further and even tighter through our next cohort and um, subsequent cohorts. But um, if anyone is interested, we spend a lot of time curating this content um, uh, uh, in, in really getting into the nuances of what it takes uh, to raise capital. So at a super high level, um, we could, of course, talk more deeply about it. But um, that's uh, a little bit how we approach the opportunity. Yeah, and I think, Jared, you nailed it. Uh, and it's like insanely good advice. The story is so important. Um, put yourself in the perspective, put yourself in the perspective of the investor that you're sitting across, right? They hear, you know, dozens of pitches a week or a month. And if you're not getting them excited, striking their attention within the first two minutes, you're going to lose them, right? They, they just hear too many of the same, you know, the same ideas. If you can't capture that, you're, you're not going to have any luck. And I guess some lessons learned from my end when, when we've raised VC funding is just how much you improve each time. Each time you meet with an investor, you go through your deck, at least for us, it's, you just learn so much. You learn how to interact. You, you become a little bit less timid. Your pitch deck improves. And so persistence there is really important because the way that you're engaging with investors on the first call with the first VC is going to be a lot different than the fifth, the 10th. Um, VC firm that you talk to. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent. We could turn this into a fundraising Twitter if we wanted to, but um, no, man, I'm happy to, to keep jamming, but this is totally agree with those points. Well, yeah, I guess one last thing on the, the, co the cohort, cohort one fundraising in web three or crypto, it's a little bit unique, right? Because there's tokens and traditionally investors want equity. So, how how has it been with investors in the near ecosystem? Are they preferring tokens or is equity a big part of maybe some of the fundraising that occurred in cohort one? It's a great question, man. It's a great question. One of the things that we actually did to prepare our founders for um, this question, and you guys will actually go through it um, as well, is we did mock negotiations um, specifically around SAFs or a standard agreement of future token allocation. Um, everything from negotiating a lockup period to negotiating how much of um, the token allocation would actually be really to prepare founders for this, right? I think you're gonna see um, a spectrum of what investors are looking for. You may see a spectrum of investors who are looking for fast liquidity and would push you down to negotiate a six month lockup as part of your SAFT. Um, for that, you may see investors who really want to be long-term partners and looking at, you know, longer-term time horizon. At the end of the day, for us, what we really focus on is what makes sense for your business. And if you are launching a token, what ultimately is going to bring sustainable value to your token holders, right, into um, the ecosystem that you are building. So there's just so many ways to, to look at it. Um, I think, you know, you could look at the institutional VC, you could look at kind of the um, private equity hedge fund side, you could look at family offices, angels, there is a broad, broad spectrum. What we drive it back to the fundamentals are what actually makes the most sense for your business. And what is the out, what is the ideal outcome that you want as a founder? I think there's a common misconception is so many founders go into the fundraising process thinking that the venture capitalist is going to help them define the outcome. The venture capitalist's job is to make as much money as possible, right? Like that is the inherent job of a VC. And so for us, we really focus on preparing our founders to essentially keep 
the end in mind and be very clear about the outcome that they want in order to create that. It's not easy. You're likely going to need to negotiate. But without clarity of that, it can be also challenging to get people to buy into what you're presenting. So um, without going too deep into the intricacies, that's a little bit about you know how we approach that. Awesome. Yeah, there's there's a lot we could talk about there. And I think the unique circumstances that crypto native investors have with token liquidity versus shares in a startup that are private for X amount of years. So yeah, super cool there. But I guess focusing more on the selection process, I guess, highlighting maybe some of the teams from cohort one, but then overall, just what are you guys, what are the characteristics of near startups that you're looking at when onboarding teams into Near Horizon? It's a great question. So we actually spend a lot of time on um, evaluating projects in a good way. And so a couple of things, right, that, that we, we think about. And mind you, you know, we stood this um, program up just under six months ago. And so we've gotten to a point now where we have a real strong formal evaluation process. And the successes that we saw from our first cohort largely have informed our evaluation to date and in, in what we look for. Um, and so a couple of things that we've really fundamentally thought about, and I think first and foremost, right, we talk to any founder. You do not need a uh, fully built out project that is generating lots of cash to be part of our program. As I mentioned earlier, we, we actually really target post-idea pre-launch founders. And the core thing that we actually found, we ran a correlation analysis to see what actually leads to the best outcomes. And it all comes back to the team, right? And so when we say we're evaluating the team, we fundamentally ask some of the core questions of, you know, what is this team's track record in the space? Have they done the work of customer discovery to form a unique insight into the problem they're solving? Is the problem they're solving clear? Do they have a background in solving said problem? Do they have a track record of shipping software um, and products in the past? How quickly have they been able to do that, right? So it's actually indexes more on qualitative questions that we convert into quantitative metrics, largely around you or largely around the individual founders themselves. There are, of course, things we look at on the actual company side of, hey, what is the regulatory environment for their use case? Are they going to run into potential problems? How much can we help them? But at the end of the day, the largest determining factor of success so far in our program and the evaluations we've done has been actually the, the team. Um, and just to, again, echo as somebody who is non-technical, but slowly becoming more technical, um, the, the majority of the teams that actually raise capital um, we're non-technical founders. I think there's a common misconception that you have to be deeply technical in order to succeed in this space. Of course, it helps with speed of shipping, uh, but it is not the sole determining factor of success or failure. And so we really look at holistic measures um, uh, uh, as well in that evaluation. Again, something that we we open source and have put out um, in the past is, as well um, on our Twitter and, and on our pages. So if folks are interested in actually looking at like our explicit criteria, more than happy to share that. But um, at a real high level, those are some of the core components that, that we really look at. Love it. And I guess just kind of thinking about one of the bigger onboarding hurdles for a start, a Web3 startup is the regulatory side and the burdens that comes with that. It's really scary to 
enter an industry and not know that what you're planning to do, you know, will be maybe banned in a couple of years, right? Or there's just no cure, there's just no clear guidelines, there's no framework. And so some of the things to do as far as best practices, as far as I know, if you're going to have a token, if maybe you have, if it's decentralized finance, things like that, there's a pretty robust and infrastructure needed for your Web3 startup. I think for us, we have a BVI, British Virgin Islands Corporation for token sales stuff, and then a foundation as well that's based out of Panama. And it's really costly to set that up. It's like, you know, $30,000 or something like that. And then there's a reoccurring fee as well. So what's the what's the support and guidance look like there when a new team is, is coming into Web3 as far as setting up their infrastructure on the legal side and the business side? Yeah, I mean, we're over here listening and smiling as a team because these are actually all of the resources that we have spent a lot of time aggregating um, and able to contextualize based off of where you're at. So fundamentally, right, we actually spend a, a, a good amount of time in our cohort um, and our programming um, is actually coming up here in a couple of weeks in um, demystifying the process of forming a legal entity fundamentally. What is it that you need to know? What are, from a regulatory uh, standpoint, what are some of the constraints around your use case? And really understanding the questions that you need to ask as a founder in order to be prepared, right, to navigate that. We have individuals from the Near Foundation legal team who lead those sessions, and then we actually share those resource, resources um, as part of um, our Horizon programming. It's something we're going to continue to push out in the future. On the token side, in the very, in the same vein, um, actually may let Marcus speak to this more in depth because he spent more time there. Um, we put together a token launch checklist that literally step-by-step step goes through everything you need to think about and questions you need to consider um, and uh, uh, execution um, uh, to focus on in the process of launching a token. So Marcus, I know you spent more time there, man. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what that process has entailed and you know how specifically we support teams? Yeah, 100%. So it's it's definitely really important, as uh, Delir mentioned, uh, it, it's what differentiates Web3 from Web2. It's one of the biggest differentiators is, is there are tokens involved. Um, so as Jared alluded to, we have uh, spent the past few weeks putting together an extensive checklist that touches on uh, several topics that are really important when kind of considering um, launching a token, right? So like legal framework, um, you know, white paper, tokenomics, um, you know, you have to make sure that you list these tokens on uh, decentralized exchanges, centralized exchanges, etc. cetera. Uh, market makers play a huge uh, role in this and treasury management. Um, and then also, uh, you know, marketing plans are key. Uh, you need to make sure that you generate hype leading up to uh, the token launch, as well as, you know, during the token launch, communicating the utility effectively. Um, and then also, you know, even including some incentive uh, incentivization for, for people to kind of maybe get involved. Um, so this token uh, launch checklist does touch on all of these. Um, I almost want to include it in the um, in the in the thread here, but I'm not 100% sure it's fully ready yet for uh, you know wide distribution. We want to make sure we really nail this down. Uh, however, this has been touched on in uh, a previous cohort, and it's something that's going to continue being built out. 
Um, so we have all of these things in mind. We have vehicles to facilitate all of this, uh, whether it's through partnerships with external um, outlets or in-house at Near Foundation. Um, so it's something that we're definitely facilitating more moving forward is supporting projects with token launches to make sure that we see these successes in the Near ecosystem. Yeah, I'm very excited that we are able to kind of learn from, from all of that work um, that you've put together there because, you know, as far as I know, it's one of the most challenging portions of, of operating in Web3. So to be able to really gain some support there is going to be super beneficial for the cohorts, but just that information really doesn't exist, you know, it, right now. Is, so to aggregate that for founders overall is huge. Um, transitioning into Near Horizon and its I guess, overall goals. If we compare to, let's say, Y Combinator, there's Y Combinator is a company. They're generating revenue, and their their goal is to, of course, support startup founders, but also to make money. And they're doing that through the equity that they receive for the teams that are accepted in YC, um, and that has spawned a few, you know, a lot of unicorns. And I think YC has done quite well there. So. Since Near Horizons isn't taking equity, isn't taking a token share, I'm curious if there's a certain business model that's profit-driven or if this is more based upon we want to help ensure that Near Native founders and startups can thrive. Man, you're asking a million-dollar, multi-million-dollar question here. It's a great one. It's a great one. So a couple stats, right? Like we are very well aware of YC, have tremendous respect for the platform they've built, have tremendous respect for um, essentially like the market of accelerators. When you really break it down, about 60% of YC's most recent batch based off of a report from PitchBook um, uh, went on to raise downstream capital, right, from the program. Um, so you're seeing like a 60% success rate. Uh, in the market today, based off of AngelList and what they put out for Q4, the average pre-seed um, post-money valuation uh, for a startup is about $10 million in post-money valuation. Um, our metrics, a little bit below that, but gaining um, essentially like competitiveness with those. And so one of the things we think about just purely on um, being able to execute excellence in our programming is how do we use that as a benchmark for not necessarily objective success, but a benchmark for how well we are serving teams, right? That's something that, you know, we really keep top of mind. On the other end of the spectrum, to actually address the direct question, you know, for us, we really position Horizon as a high touch, meaningful way to get become embedded and involved in the near ecosystem. That could be embedded from a technical standpoint, that could be embedded and involved from an ecosystem standpoint, right? For us, it's a phenomenal way to engage net new, net new meaning like teams that have never been engaged with NEAR before. And it's a phenomenal way to re-engage existing teams that have been building um, within the NEAR ecosystem. And so we take ourselves seriously. We run uh, what we consider a top tier program and are really striving for those metrics. But when we really boil it down, for us, the metrics are actually much more focused on, you know, what you would see um, in a traditional acquisition mechanism, right? So we really look at how well are we actually getting teams on mainnet? How well are we really meaningfully accelerating the roadmaps uh, of, these, of these teams uh, as well? And so for us, that's essentially how we orient our center of gravity. We actually are here on offsite just with our OKRs and a lot of those OKRs 
dial back to those metrics I just just mentioned there. So that's a lot of our focus. Well aware of the accelerator market, take ourselves very seriously in producing top tier programs with top tier outcomes. At the end of the day, for us, we meaningfully want to accelerate the roadmap of near. And so like for, for us, that shows up in running a great accelerator program. Love it. And just a quick sound check. I had a connection interruption. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Okay, perfect. Yeah, you're awesome. doing good. Sounds good. So as far as the program itself, we're in this cohort, but for everyone and even ourselves, what can we look forward to? What are, what are the steps? What, is, what does this process look like, this journey for founders? It's a great question. So if you've enjoyed listening to this, um, A, we would absolutely love to talk to you. Um, if you go to hzn.xyz slash hzn, you will come to our landing page. Um, we can post it in the thread here so you can uh, um, see and apply for our program. We run three cohorts a year. So we are in like almost at the halfway point of um, uh, hzn 2 in June, we're going to kick off HCN3. And then I believe uh, October, we're going to kick off HCN4. So we run uh, three cohorts a year, and these are eight-week experiences. Um, in between, we do recruiting, we do a number of efforts. Um, but if you're interested in being part of our, our next cohort, we would love to talk with you. We would love to, to chat. Specifically for HCN3, we're really focused on use cases that amplify chain abstraction. If you're not familiar with chain abstraction, that is essentially what we are um, laser light focused on at near in removing the complexities of crypto away from the end user and embracing a multi-chain mindset. Obviously, there's a ton that has come out um, over the past call it quarter, um, uh, whether you were at NearCon or have been following near um, in, in general. But that's going to be our focus for the next cohort. Um, if you're not necessarily building that use case, do not worry. We absolutely still want to talk with you and get you plugged in. Um, but yeah, that is how you can learn more just on our website. Apply. Um, DMs are open, so happy to chat. We got the whole team here. You can connect with Marcus, Laura, Bianca. We're, we're here. So yeah, that is um, definitely would love to, to connect with you all. Perfect. And Brandon, over to you. Yeah, I just wanted to add really quick, speaking as a current participant of the HZ2 cohort, I think that anyone interested in the things we're talking about, anyone potentially looking to start a project on here definitely needs to talk to Jared because mine and David's startup adventure has a bunch of different you know, roadblocks or challenges that we had to overcome with limited information on a lot of these different things that as of last week, um, Jared, we were covering UI and how to design that, how to reach your audience. There's all of these things that they cover in depth that I would have loved to have this information, loved to know what I was doing at the time. And it's just, it's a really great resource. I'd recommend anyone at all to, you know, hit them up and then just talk about potentially getting in the next cohort. Yeah, for sure. And, and maybe more specific, the tools that founders are going to be able to access. I know Brandon and I are doing a video series right now for a token lifecycle on Mir, um, going through the process of creating a token and bringing it to market and all of the steps along the way. And through that process, we learned that there are some 
some hurdles and maybe some issues that can be cleaned up. Um, but it is, it is a bit challenging to navigate the available resources. And I'm still learning about new resources that have been around that I just wasn't aware of. So I'm curious if there is maybe a toolkit or, or anything that stands out that can really help empower founders. Well, you're speaking our language because it's exactly what we're building right now. Um, what we have are a lot of tools that are distributed across the ecosystem. What we are building right now is a single entry point to access said tools, whether it is figuring out things on the token design and tokenomic side, whether it is um, how to build a basic financial model, whether it is a template to a data room, whether it's even on the technical side in, you know, how do I you know, understand how to integrate a near wallet into my project, right? Um, so we're calling this product our Founder Hub. Um, and in the Founder Hub, um, each of the tools or products really addresses um, each of these pain points, whether it's on the spectrum of technical support, whether it's on the spectrum of you know, anything that relates to your project, all of the resources, Brandon, that you just mentioned on the um, UX, UI, um, user research side, we essentially have spent the past six months, actually six plus months, um, aggregating all of these. And our Founder Hub is really designed to be the single entry point um, for, for these resources. So uh, stay tuned. Um, it's actually, you know, again, we're here at this offsite. It's on our OKR board. So we are ag actively working towards this uh, launch, but um, totally hear you. It is something that is really, really important to us in order to um, ensure that people not only can have accessible access to tools, but know where to find it, right? I don't know about you all, but I like dig and dig and dig on the internet and I have like 18 different tabs open on my Chrome. Um, my Chrome's about to explode because I'm just trying to find like a specific thing. We're trying to solve for that um, and really actually only have one tab that is open uh, specific to our Founder Hub. LFG, yeah, that's gonna be huge. And maybe more aligned with just learning lessons and, and changes maybe that the program has made from cohort one, learning from some of the roadblocks that teams encountered, the processes along the way, how has Near Horizons evolved from cohort one to cohort two? Man, we're, we're digging in, man. We're, we're digging in on some good questions. Okay, so a couple of things. One, um, oh, sorry. We're, uh, we really try to focus on getting better um, and increasing our feedback loops um, as much as possible, specifically to founders who have not only participated in the program, but founders who are currently going through it right now. So, I mean, we're listening to everything you all are saying, so it's a very much deeply appreciate the feedback. A couple of things that we really, really focus on. Number one, fundamentally, because we run this program equity free, what we really index on is accountability, right? There's a lot of information that's accessible on the internet, a lot of uh, fellowships you could go through, a lot of um, tools and resources that you could um, tap into. But what is not overly accessible or free all the time is accountability. So um, that is what we essentially embed into the program. Brandon, I think you were part of it last Friday. Um, we do what are called progress check-ins. This is uh, bi-weekly. Um, it's a forcing function for you to share what you have shipped over the past couple of weeks, where you need help, um, how specifically we can uh, close that gap. You demo to other founders who are participating in the program. Um, I mentioned kind of the dedicated technical support that, that we provide as well. Um, but taking that a step further and really, you know, looking at how do we how do we push 
uh, founders in a way to really pressure test their idea, to really make sure they are um, taking adequate steps on user research, to really ensure that um, their code base is sound and um, they have great documentation, right? These are some of the core fundamental pillars that, you know, as we look at, you know, the success stories that have come out of our accelerator and reverse engineered that, these are the behaviors that the founders are, are, are doing. Um, so we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we build in buffers of accountability in order to create the right forcing functions um, for progress to happen, right? Because it takes so much inertia, so much effort to just be a founder in general, right? It's just hard. Like it's not easy. It is not fundamentally, you're going like upstream. You're going against the grain by creating a company. And so for us, we want to build the right sandbox for you to build that in. Um, and so that's how we view accountability as part of our, our program. Um, and then, you know, really the tactical stuff is bringing in experts to talk about these specific sessions and topics. We obviously have experts internally within the Near Foundation um, that have come in as guest speakers, external folks um, that have uh, come in as guest speakers, which for us, we take a lot of pride in being able to curate the right voices that can meaningfully share insight that is going to be a difference maker, right? I think there's so much information that is available, but what is the information that's going to be a difference maker for you? That's what we think about when we um, are planning our programming um, and really trying to think about evolving what Horizon is. Love it. And looking at, in my opinion, one of the biggest ecosystem achievements or one of the most impactful things to come from near last year, in my opinion, was Shardog, um, just overall as far as impact and how it's being incorporated into so many different initiatives and projects within near shardog was in H in, in the first cohort and and i don't know if they're a public good or not um maybe maybe you guys have some definitions on whether shardog would be classified as a public good but then kind of leading into my question how does near horizons approach teams that are planning to build a public good for the near ecosystem where it has clear value and, and high impact for, for near, but maybe it doesn't have a business model or, you know, a fee mechanism that would be sort of inherent with a profit driven startup. These are good questions, man. And Marcus, I'm going to let you jump in on this one. So we met uh, Jared and Joe from Shard Dog, the two co-founders, early, early in their founder journey, so early where I think at the time they were still figuring out how to even define Shard Dog, um, which is a, such a beautiful phase to meet a builder. Um, and so we don't take that for granted because the easy thing to do then would be to pass and to focus on a different team. Um, and so I think it goes back to what we had shared earlier about how we evaluate founders and how we evaluate teams. Obviously, you know, they have been a really impactful and successful use case. I think just over 100,000 Shard Dogs minted. And for those who aren't familiar, Shard Dog onboarding infrastructure um, specific to Near, um, which has been really, really exciting. Um, but Marcus, I know you've obviously been really hands-on uh, with the team um, and worked with them closely. So yeah, I'll let you share a little bit more about that, that journey. Yeah, 100%. So in regards to the specific question uh, about, um, you know, Horizon's view or strategy around supporting a project that can bring 
a lot of value to the near ecosystem, but may not necessarily be pushing towards uh, having a business model. Um, that's that's something in Jared's purview. But in the uh, in the journey of um, of Shardog, uh, they came a very long way, and they're they're definitely an example of a successful project that now majority. Uh, I want to say like all the whole ecosystem, but a, a really good majority of the near ecosystem is actually leveraging and they're, bu they're building really seamless onboarding tools um, to kind of get people uh, into the near ecosystem, really taking advantage of all of the, the near tech, um, the near infrastructure, like uh, you know, the account model. Um, in regards to um, public goods, like a really good outlet for this. And again, this, this goes back to the, the earlier conversation of plugging in um, founders into the wider ecosystem, uh, DevHub is actually doing a really good job of supporting public goods. So there is an outlet for that as well. Um, you know, whether it's it's uh, Near Horizon or or DevHub, there are there are definitely support outlets for projects that are interested in building public goods on Near um, and seeking support. Uh, so definitely, like, don't think that there aren't. <laughs> they're they're definitely out there. Thanks, Marcus. And yeah, I think. Um... The, the NDC coming live as well is probably a big um, um, and then mentioned earlier about non-technical founders and maybe in the last cohort um, non-technical non founder led teams were able to raise raise capital but I'm curious what the process would be like for non-technical founders going through the Near Horizons program, building a product, and then going on to potentially raise capital. What what sort of opportunities are there for um, technical support, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, so, and sorry, just to back up real quick, um, just related to, to Shardog and echoing everything Marcus had shared. You know, one of the things we think about is, like, not everybody needs to build a $100 million business to you know, be successful. I think success looks like a lot of different things. We spend a lot of time like defining a business model and to kind of transition into the next next question of, you know, what does it mean for someone to be a non-technical founder and go through our program? What does that support look like? You know, I think fundamentally, you know, if you're building software, great software is built by great software engineers. And so if you're a non-technical founder, it's really finding where do you <laughs> Brandon, I'm not sure if you're able to respond yeah, to Jared. I, I, I can't hear Jared actually right now. I think okay, he just had yeah. some Twitter technical issues. I had yeah, it looks like we lost Jared and Marcus. So, oh man, that was a good question. He was about to, a good rant. He was about to go on. Yeah, Twitter Spaces, man. We got to check out Farcaster. Maybe they can. Bro, what happened? Twitter Spaces experience. Yo, Cade, what's going on, man? Dude, I just, well, I hopped up just because I, I panicked because I saw that, like, people got kicked off and I, like, didn't know if anyone could talk. So I was like, let me see if I, like, just in case nobody can talk, let me just pop up for a second.
yeah well looks like we're yeah we yeah we had a, we got we got rugged for a sec sorry Guys, man i'm like i'm like dying a slow death over here i don't know what is going on with this welcome uh, welcome to twitter spaces dude with faces unfortunately k joined and broke it <laughs> or I had right. to. I think I we to. got Jared back now. This is you guys, man. I am so sorry. This is brutal. I'm like, I was in the middle of like a TED talk. Just kidding. Um, I get fired up about this stuff. I get super passionate because it's uh it's a real challenge, right? Um, I don't know where I cut out fundamentally. What we really try to do is how do we help non-technical founders operate in their superpower, right? And help them identify the right technical resource to bring their idea to life. Fundamentally, period. We do that through AI-powered tooling. We do that through really helping um, them ask key questions uh, that are going to determine the success of the business as early on as possible in that journey. Um, so, yeah, man, without going too deep into that response, again, it's sorry for getting cut out there. I'm not sure what exactly happened, but um, we've spent a lot of time thinking about it because reality is there are more non-technical people in the world than there are technical. And that's okay because there is... Uh, technology out there that can complement and supplement for that. And so we try to design the right systems uh, for that to scale. That, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, the, the tools that exist now, it, it's, it's insane. I mean, what AI is able to do from empowering you on, on the code side, but also on the creativity side, it significantly reduces costs and makes you really efficient and building out an MVP is is realistic even as a non-technical founder with the tools that exist um diving into maybe something a bit more i guess niche but definitely important in crypto auditing we you know it seems like on a on a pretty regular basis there's a big exploit that occurs right and even protocols that are audited and audited by the you know industry leaders they are still getting exploited and they're still at risk sometimes. So it's a big issue. And it's one of the, I know, scarier components for brain that I'm navigating through the DeFi side of things. And, and we actually we had an issue where there was an exploit that occurred on Jump DeFi. And it was, it was a huge challenge for we able to overcome it. But if you want to get an audit done, it's really, really expensive. So I'm curious what Near Horizon is sort of looking at in terms of the safety side of building on Web3 and some of the inherent risks that exist um, that, that we face every day. Yeah, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep. Can you, can you guys hear, hear me? Yeah, no, I wanted to just make sure we were good before I start answering these questions and get cut off. Um, no, man. Um, so it's such a great point. Obviously, like this is the hard this is the hard part about building in Web3, you know, like you're you're leveraging, especially for DeFi use case, like you're leveraging a li liquid asset and there's security and you have to think about a lot of considerations. Um, I'm like, we're racking our brains right now. Um, I'm completely blanking on the name. We'll think of it and drop it in the thread um, to this space. Um, we actually have partnered uh, with an awesome, awesome uh, startup that essentially does AI powered smart contract auditing. This does not fully replace a audit end to end, but what it does is it catches about 98% of the security risk that uh, could come up. And so in terms of being able to like decrease the cost of how much it takes um, in order to 
find like different like gaps in in your existing code base, gaps in your security practices. That's something we obviously spend a lot of time thinking about. As I mentioned, you know, we are focused on helping teams launch on mainnet, which is amazing. But we also want them to sustain, right, and avoid um, security issues. So, um, again, apologies, I'm blanking on the name of um, our partner, but it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, uh, honestly, it is a challenge across the industry. But, you know, one of the core areas we've looked at is how do we at least help founders ask the right questions and know where to look, right? A lot of times when you just find a um, security auditor, right, you pay them a lump sum, uh, but being able to actually have hyper-specific questions going into that ideally decreases your cost and decreases the amount of time that it takes um, in order to successfully get that done. So that's an area that we've really identified um, back to the earlier question of like, what's the difference between our first cohort and second cohort? That's an area that, you know, we've really, really honed in on. Awesome. And then also just being in this group dynamic where you're going through this journey with several different teams is you can actually work together and say, Hey, can you take a look at my code base? What do you think? Do you see anything here? And just getting that second, third set of eyes is, is invaluable. And I think that's something that is really important too. just that, that working together dynamic. Um, but as we are getting close to the hour, I want to just send it back um, to you, Jared, to you, Marcus, for any closing thoughts, maybe things that we didn't have a chance to hone in on um, or just stuff that you're excited about for the rest of the year. Yeah, man. Thank you, Marcus. I absolutely dominated the mic. So I'm going to toss it to you, man. Awesome. No, I'm really excited uh, that the uh, Horizon cohorts are continuing on. Uh, really excited to see like what successes come from these cohorts. Uh, you know, there are a lot of exciting projects that are currently uh, building that are in the cohorts. And it's it's really cool to just be able to contribute to, um, you know, the development and, and like supporting these projects building on here. So really, really excited about that. Uh, really also excited about just dogfooding a lot of these projects as well and cross-pollinating. Um, you know, I'm a huge advocate of, of like leveraging what's built on the technology to kind of, you know, like implement certain processes uh, or integrated events. So I'm really excited to see what um, kind of like comes to life around this. Uh, and I'm also just really, really excited about all you guys. Like there's so much exciting activity happening on here now. Um, you know, we, we haven't seen uh, this since probably like early 2022 or, or like late 2021, uh, where there's been a lot of excitement. Uh, there's like a lot of token launches. Um, you know, we just had a couple of NFT projects mint out. Um, you know, this is just really awesome to see. And, and I love to uh, to kind of be a part of it. So I just want to say I also appreciate all you guys. Anything you need, like, let me know. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like where I stand on that. Appreciate that, Marcus. No, and just kind of to close here, um, echoing, we have a cohort and community of some awesome, awesome builders. Just to give some folks some some shout outs. Obviously, um, the both of you and Jump DeFi love that you guys are part of our program. Um, we have uh, an amazing uh, founder named Nishal who's building a company called Maps. It's one of our first D-PIN use cases um, that's solely focused on um, decentralized ownership of EV chargers. That has been really, really interesting use case of Near. We have another team called Lumos AI that is looking to build um, the first AI CEO 
um, for uh, DAOs um, and decision-making. We have another team called Quest Protocol, which is building an onboarding SDK um, to integrate with NIR. Um, um, I'm thinking of others, Robert Cow, who's building Plato Protocol, um, which is essentially a uh, loyalty and rewards platform for SMBs and restaurants. So we've just been super encouraged by um, the strength of builders who are part of our program and the use cases that, that we're seeing. Um, we're just getting started. This is still you know, so so early um, and so really excited to, to keep building. Again, if folks want to chat with us, learn more about the program, we'll be at East Denver. So if you're at East Denver, um, check out our side event. Uh, our team will be there to say hello. But more importantly, appreciate you all hosting us. Yeah, and Jared, my, Marcus, thank you so much for spending the time with us. It's been super informative. Uh, it's really a pleasure um, and an honor to be able to be in cohort two through Nico. Um, and just to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. Please go ahead and follow our speakers, follow Near Horizon, the Near Native startups that are being supported and um, accelerated through Near Horizons. It's of course, super important that we all work together and support each other. And I think we're in a pretty special time within the Near ecosystem. So lots of great experiences in store. Um, Brandon, Monza, anything you guys want to add before we wrap up? Um, no, just thank you again, Marcus and Jared, and uh, I will see you at the next Horizon Workshop. Cheers, guys. Talk soon. <laughs>